0: some common sense. Yes,
1: sir, they have the, car the by We
2: still don't know who pulled the trigger.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Detective Sergeant Bill Cannon, 27-year veteran from Manhattan North Homicide Squad. Today we got some sort of new information on the Rust movie set shooting, which actually it happened in October. You would think that um, the district attorney would have already come down with uh, the decision either to seek criminal charges or not to seek criminal charges. However, there is some very new information. They've released a great deal of the recordings, small video recordings, some of the interviews. And just one of the pictures that I see here, I just want you to take a look at it. This is a picture of Alec Baldwin rehearsing uh, a cross draw shortly before Helena Hutchins was shot. And as you could see, his hand, his fingers on the trigger So if he was rehearsing that way, doesn't it make sense that maybe he, in live action he did it the same way? And you could see that his right thumb is back near the hammer. So if he pulled that hammer back and had his finger on the trigger, I think that 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 speaks volumes. And we'll go more into that later on. I just see um, Phil has just arrived. He was a little bit – I'll put him in the picture in a second. But there's also a decision by um, Santa Fe, New Mexico, OSHA, and except they call it uh, Organization of Safety uh, Health Bureau. And one of their findings was that the crew on the set of the movie Rust willfully violated safety rules and demonstrated plain indifference to employee safety, which led to the shooting death of cinematographer Helena Hutchins, according to a report released Wednesday by the New Mexico Environmental Department's Occupational Health and Safety Bureau. Um, the State environmental chief said another factor potentially contributing to the ultimate fatal shooting on set was the fact that sets armor was also tasked with other unrelated duties. When individuals in any occupation, but specifically the set armor are given multiple duties as opposed to having separate duties, with multiple people, that leaves the opportunity that people can't get to everything in the course of their day, said said the uh, chief investigator. Safety is not something that should ever be put on the back burner. Safety should be an inherent job characteristic that every employer invests in to keep their employees safe. And as a result of this scathing report, um, the producers of Rust, Rust Incorporated, was issued the most severe fine. The highest fine, $137,000. So they were found to be in extreme negligence in regards to safety, specifically gun safety.
3: Phil, welcome. (laughs) Yeah, I was having a little uh, update issue with my computer. It's just about, I can probably get on with the computer. Uh, Give me a second. Yeah, I I, I was watching what you were doing as I was trying to get on, Billy. And uh, the finger on the trigger, I mean... If you practice that enough times, isn't that what you're going to do? It's repetitive motion, so to speak. So yeah, uh, I
0: mean, to 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 say that, uh, you know, oh, I didn't pull the trigger. I didn't pull the trigger. But you're rehearsing with your finger on the trigger. You know, when you rehearse, that's how you do things. You know, when we went to the range twice a year in our 20-plus years on the NYPD, range was rehearsal for a shootout, you know. And you took the range very seriously because you wanted to react if you were in a shooting, since it's such a traumatic situation, you wanted to react. So you would shoot the same way that hopefully if you, God forbid, you got in a shootout, that you were trained to do that. So I think it's sort of like reflexive action. And uh, as you see this picture, it's, you know, I think this picture hurts him a lot. And it's not just a picture. They have video of him. Practicing a cross draw, and this was in exactly the same position he was in when he shot Helena Hutchins.
3: Yeah, absolutely, Billy. And, you know, it's what exactly what you said. I was in two shootouts in my career, and both times instincts take over. Uh, The repetitiveness of the training over and over again, uh, just without even thinking about it, in split seconds, your instincts kick in, and that's what causes you to react the way that you do. Now, had he practiced that scene, he didn't do it hundreds or thousands of times. He probably did it a couple of dozen times. And I would think that, that you know, the past behavior, we say this a lot, past behavior is usually indicative of future behavior. So, again, he was probably uh, putting his finger on the trigger without even realizing it. However, he makes the assertion that he did not pull the trigger. He says it with such... Uh, conviction, that that almost sounds a little suspicious to me. You know, I think it's uh, what he think is in his best interest. He may have spoken to attorneys before he made that statement. And uh, so again, uh, I, it could be uh, that he's not telling the truth. It could be he doesn't realize it. But I would think that from that picture, you know, he, he practiced it that way. And uh, unfortunately, it, it's it's a horrible accident. Bullet shitting in the gun, one hundred percent. But it's a horrible accident.
0: We're gonna we're gonna get to all of that. Let me play a little bit of this uh, video, and
3: uh... I'm gonna switch computers while you're doing that, Bill.
2: I'm not getting any sound.
3: Bill, can you hear me? I don't think sound is coming through. Not getting audio.
0: no audio on that bill yeah it's uh you know that whole uh video he he shows that um Again, someone in the chat was saying, oh, he he said he pulled the trigger. No, he said he did not pull the trigger. He said it numerous, numerous times that he never pulled the trigger. But then when we see um, the video of him uh, with his finger on the trigger, you have to wonder, like, again, I'll pull the picture up. There he is rehearsing, and not only is his finger on the trigger, but he's got his thumb near, I can't see if it's on, but near the hammer. So he could have cocked the gun and had his finger on the trigger, and that would make the gun go off. And that is very damning evidence. And, you know, he's saying in every step of the way that he's uh, he's innocent, he didn't do this, he didn't do that. I mean, no one's been charged yet. And my prediction is, or what I feel, is that at least three people should be charged, and he happens to be one of them. Him, David Halls and Hannah Gutierrez. Hannah Gutierrez is the armorer. Although she, ha- she look, she, she has a defense. They made her do too many jobs. In the safety of uh, um, OSHA, it says that, that the armorer is only supposed to have one job. So if she's doing another job, she can't possibly watch the guns or supervise the guns or supervise the ammo. So she has a defense. But th- I don't know if in a civil case... That's really going to have much water. But in the criminal case, it very well could be that she was given too many jobs. She's just supposed to be the armorer. David Halls, the assistant director, there's no way in the world he can
3: say he was supposed to hand Alec Baldwin that gun. Billy, right off the bat, firearms instructor in the NYPD up at Rodman's Neck Range, teaching you how to shoot. Suppose he said, I'm the domestic violence officer in a local precinct. I can't be here right now. It's unheard of. It's ridiculous. It's ludicrous. She's the armor. She needs to be present anytime a firearm is gonna be utilized during uh filming of a production. Now that obviously wasn't followed. The protocols weren't followed. We know that already. The OSHA fine was the maximum fine. I call it OSHA it was called something else, but I'll just use that term because everybody's familiar with OSHA occupational safety and health administration. That's the United States government um, safety uh, uh, agency that uh, oversees a lot of safety in, in uh, you know, big companies. Anyway, with regard to New Mexico, that uh, body, They put the biggest penalty that they possibly could, the biggest fine on this production. Now, what does that tell you? If they could have gone higher, maybe they would have. $137,000 fine. They didn't do that because they thought that Alec Baldwin and everybody else involved in the project, uh, you know, was paying attention to the protocols. Now, again, I think he's doing himself a disservice by doing what he's doing. Him and the assistant director, uh, you know, listen, they can turn around and say what they want to say now, but they're making themselves look like liars and it's going to put them more culpable. I mean, even in the criminal investigation, he's saying he didn't pull the trigger yet. We have video of him with his finger on the trigger. And why didn't he just come out and say, listen, this is the way we practice it. Uh, this is the way we practiced it many times. It's obviously an accident. I don't think he loaded the gun with a real bullet to kill this young lady. It's obvious, obvious, but he can turn around and tell, and like throw himself on the mercy of the court, so to speak. Say, listen, this is the way we practice it. I probably did have my finger on the trigger. I didn't mean to, I didn't think the gun was going to go off. It wasn't supposed to go off. But it's possible that I did pull the trigger that he'd be better served if he said those things. Now, he's probably looking at the civil end of it. He doesn't want to, you know, lose all of his money and, and and you know, put himself out of the business, so to speak. So, again, he spoke to lawyers. Probably that's the p- position they're taking. But we have video evidence to disprove what he said. And we also know we uh, on our show, we had the demonstration by uh, crime scene sergeant, uh, John. I keep forgetting his last name. Pellucci. Pellucci Pellucci did that uh, tremendous, tremendous uh, display of how uh, inner workings of a firearm work. And unless the gun is uh, ruled to be by the ballistics and and the lab, that it's uh, improperly operating... Then the only way for the gun to go off is if the fig, uh, the trigger is depressed. So I, again, and and we saw many demonstrations, not only on our show, on on uh, you know on the local media as well, the uh, the national media. So his his whole um, story is getting holes punched in it a little at a time. He comes off, you know, we talked about that in the past. He comes off as not being uh, sorry for what happened. Uh, he's showing no. Uh, you know, no culpability on himself. He's not taking any responsibility at all. And uh, I really think that uh, he's doing himself a disservice.
0: No, absolutely. I just want to read a little bit more of the OSHA report. Our investigation found that this tragic incident never would have happened if Rust Movie Productions LLC had followed national film industry standards for firearm safety, said Environment Cabinet Secretary James Kenney. This is a complete failure of the employer to follow recognized national protocols that keep employees safe. The list of violations on earth goes on and on, Kenny said in a subsequent interview with reporters. The agency had sharply criticized rust production management for reportedly failing to adhere to safety regulations they claimed were in place. They put something in motion, said that they were going to comply with it and then never put the resources or integrity behind it in order to have, actually keep people safe. So right there, I mean negligence on the movie set. And I know that early on, of course, everyone was running for cover. Everyone was trying to cover their ass. Let me play a little bit of this news report. Um everyone had no culpability, but you know, culpability will be determined by the investigation.
4: But this shows Sandy. It's really remarkable, Bill and Sade, the Santa Fe Sheriff's Department says it is releasing everything associated with its ongoing investigation. Now that includes hours of video and hundreds of pages of documents. In this first video shot soon after the tragedy, you can see Alec Baldwin in costume with a hat on, his hands out as he talks with officers and they take pictures of him. Investigators ask him to change, but before he starts to walk away, officers ask him how long they've been filming. Baldwin responds, about two and a half weeks. In another video, you see officers walking through the set where the shooting has happened shortly before this was filmed. You can see investigators in what looks like a church talking to crew members as they try to understand what happened. Also released the first interview with Alec Baldwin. He asks officers if he's being charged with anything. Investigators respond, no, it's just an interview. Baldwin goes on to explain what happened they bring you what's called a cold gun. The gun is either completely empty, the chambers,
2: or there is a cosmetic piece. So, for example, if you're the camera, and this is going to sound silly and specific, but if I'm pointing, the camera, I'm shooting in a direction, and everybody is supposed to be to that side of the camera. There's nobody in my line. Nobody. And so when I shoot the gun, so in the rehearsal, I'm assuming I have an empty gun, and the gun goes off, she's right in front of me. She's as far from me as I am from between difference between maybe you and the door.
5: Okay. Like so another, they
2: approximate. Well she's a very it was a very tight shot. Okay. The shot was here. Of me not of me, it's of me pulling the gun slowly, so it turned cock. Okay. And she's right there vulnerable, in a position she wouldn't ordinarily be if we were shooting, and, she, and this then boom, yes. she hits the ground. Okay.
4: Baldwin was pointing a gun at cinematographer Helena Hutchins when it went off, killing Hutchins and wounding the movie's director, Joel Souza. Baldwin has said he was pointing the gun at Hutchins at her instruction when it went off, even though he didn't pull the trigger. So far, no charges have been filed. Investigators say a formal decision on criminal charges will depend on analysis of ballistics and DNA.
0: You know, that's the second time I've heard that uh, about DNA. I, I, I mean, I you know, first of all, if there's DNA on the bullet, on the on the round that went in, that, that doesn't prove a lot. I mean, it could have been handled in the factory. It could have been someone else's DNA. It doesn't prove much. So when they're talking about DNA is going to like be
3: the smoking gun, I don't think it's going to be. I think the DNA factor is going to come to uh, if it has the armor is DNA on it then that's obvious that she handled the live round before it went into the gun. Maybe that's the uh, DNA that they're talking about, Billy, but you're right. Uh, There's so much uh, handling of a bullet between the manufacturing and the sale. So there could be a possible uh, multiple DNA on, on that uh, bullet or the shell casing, whatever they're talking about. But uh, the bottom line is, is that he makes those statements and he says that no one is supposed to be in the line of fire. And that's correct. Cause Steve Gardell. Uh, Sergeant Steve Gardell came on this show. Uh, He's retired from the movie TV unit. And he said the same thing that in the line of fire, when you're using a real firearm, no one is supposed to be in that line of fire. Person is supposed to be off to the side and they operate the camera either from a a remote location or uh, a location that's out of the line of fire. However, she's in the line of fire, obviously. So again, now he's the one holding the firearm. Shouldn't he you know, correct her and say, well, you're in the line of fire. You need to move over to the other side of the camera or whatever it is, or go to the left or the right. So, you know, he, he's trying to put the culpability on the victim. It sounds like to me that you're not supposed to be in the line of fire, but she was. So it's like, he's trying to blame her to me. You know, I, I don't, I don't like his tone with this whole thing. And he really is doing himself a disservice. He just keeps digging the hole. Deeper and deeper, in my opinion.
0: Uh, crime soap proper. I know, but this interview is what he really did. No, it's what he wants to say that he did. What he really did is different from what he's, he's trying to cover his ass. And he's trying to make a statement that'll get him from culpability. And he said uh, in interviews that he didn't know that Helena Hutchins was dead till hours later. It was clear he knew she was dead minutes after this shooting. He was told she was dead. You know, and then he made up a story. So he's telling a story, which is very common in interviews, that's designed to cover his ass. And, you know, I don't believe anything he says. I mean, look, he's practicing with the gun. And, I mean, this a a picture's worth a thousand words. There he is with his finger on the trigger, rehearsing seconds before Helena Hutchins was killed.
3: Billy it so also looks like, it also looks in that picture. I don't mean to interrupt you Billy, but it also looks like th- his finger is depressed on the trigger. It doesn't look like his finger is is in front of the trigger. It looks like it's depressed to me. I mean it's hard to tell. It's it's not a real clear shot and you'd probably be better served if the, if the uh, angle of the uh camera was to his left or to his right, more to his left obviously, but uh, it looks to me like he could have had it depressed right there. So again, He's he's, uh, he's not a, a marksman. He's not a, a professional when it comes to handling firearms and he may have been pulling the trigger on every time he pulled that gun, you know?
0: Uh, crime soap opera. Uh, I was saying that he said more in this interview than the next one he did. Well, yeah, because this was the interview where he was talking to the police and they were asking him questions. This wasn't, he wasn't getting to run the interview. You know what I'm saying? except he did run the interview with uh George Snuffleupagus there that that was another joke of an interview but this interview happened right after the occurrence and he was uh obviously in in a state of being upset but he was also in a state of covering his ass immediately and uh which is not uncommon you know he recognized what had occurred i think he knew that from right away
3: that she was dead you know uh i don't think there was any Question about that? You know, I want to play. There was um- before you do. Let me make a quick point. I don't mean to interrupt again, but th- that interview looks like it took place. Probably, it's not being done on the set of Rust. It sounds like it was done back at a uh, uh, pre- police precinct or some type of an interview room. So it's probably hours later. Now, last night on the news, I heard them say uh, that they were waiting. Still, they they said the criminal investigation is still active. It, it hasn't been determined if it's going to be charges. However, they're waiting on telephone records to come back and evidence to come back, uh, uh, you know, crime scene evidence to come back from the lab. So again, I would bet dollars to donuts. Now you saw pictures of him right after the shooting on a telephone. He probably made a call, maybe called his wife or whoever is closest to him. He was upset about what happened, but I'll bet dollars to donuts. He made a call to an attorney and the attorney probably instructed him on what to say and what not to say. I'll almost put my pension on it. That's how certain I am that he had consulted with someone before he made that statement. Someone with a legal background.
0: This is um, a armorer who worked for CNN, who happened to be excellent. Our armorer um, John Pellucci was excellent also, but I think because of the TV cameras and up close nature of that, they could get the pictures gone his was a great presentation. Gun. You'll play a and little this bit. Of is this is
4: one of the big headlines from this interview. Alec Baldwin made the claim that he never pulled the trigger. That what he did was he pulled the hammer back and then released it. Explain okay, to well, us I'll show you expl- exactly what
1: happened. Okay, explain
4: that. to me what he's claiming and how plausible that is.
1: Okay, so not plausible. On a single action revolver, when you pull the hammer back, which is an intentional act, click, click click, click. Now the hammer is set. When you pull the hammer back and let go, as you can see, I'm not holding this. You know, the hammer doesn't go anywhere. When you press the trigger, which is, I'm gonna do it with this finger so you can see what a minute act that is. It takes very little to press the trigger there. So option one, you know, he pressed the trigger, but it was such a minor press that that, it, that he wasn't aware that he had you know, ordered that signal from his brain. Or option B, He's holding the gun with the trigger to press. Now, on this gun, it doesn't matter which order you go in. You can either cock the gun and you can fire it with the trigger, or you can press the gun, the trigger, and then cock the gun. And if you release it at this point, it falls and the gun fires. That's probably so if, as he's cross-drawing, his finger is on the trigger, which he may have interpreted as just resting on the trigger, but with a one millimeter pull, that would be sufficient. Now he pulls the hammer back and then releases it, he doesn't have to press the trigger again if he's already got pressure on it in order for the gun to fire. And I think that's really a, a key point in this in this matter.
0: Excellent demonstration. And to tell you the truth, I think now that's what happened. I think, I think that exactly he didn't even realize he pulled the trigger because his finger was on it and he pulled the hammer back and it
3: automatically allowed the hammer to go forward because his finger was already on the trigger. Okay. Let me just expand a little bit on that. If the, if you grab the gun and, and you have the, uh, your finger on the trigger and it's depressed, now he pulls the hammer back as he's pulling the hammer back, the cylinder is going to go into battery. It's going to put the round into position. And then he says that he told Helena Hutchins, can you see that? Can you see that? He goes, and then I let the hammer go and bang the gun went off. So it's clear he had his finger on the trigger. I mean, listen, I can't say 1 million percent, I wasn't in the room. I didn't see it. But based on all of the evidence and that demonstration, that gun is operable and it's not defective in any way, shape or form. The only way if what he says is true about pulling it back, pulling it back, meaning the hammer and then releasing it, the only way it goes off is if he had his finger depressed on the trigger, which is probably what happened. He may or may not have even realized it, but that's the way it looks. And again, where we're We're pointing out the obvious, but the real question is how did that live round? get into that gun? That's really the more important question. Because if it was a blank or it was just a dummy round that doesn't do anything, nothing would happen and she would be uh, alive and well. And it's obvious that someone put that uh, live round in there. I think that's where the negligence is going to come in, uh, because we know that they were firing shots from that same gun a day or two before, uh, you know, taking target practice. So that's where I think you're going to have the negligence. Uh, Alec Baldwin is definitely negligent in the way things would be and run. He was an on-site producer. So we went through that many times before. Um, Yeah, I do think there's going to be criminal charges, Billy. I agree with you. I think that uh, Baldwin, the assistant director, I think the armorer could could hold some culpability. And then whoever it was that brought those rounds to that set, that's criminal negligence right there. I'm sorry. If you brought live rounds to a movie set, that's where you're committing uh, uh, criminal negligence right there.
6: We're also getting our first look at some of the body cam video from deputies when they first arrived on scene. How's it going, sir? Um, So my understanding, um, you you were in the room when the lady went. According to court records, Baldwin was handed a firearm by the film's assistant director, Dave Halls who said it was a cold gun, meaning it was filled with blanks. Instead, there were live rounds inside when Baldwin pulled the trigger inside this church on the set. Cinematographer Helena Hutchins was killed.
2: Rehearsal gun should be empty.
5: Okay.
2: And as I said, for the two weeks I've been shooting, it has been empty. We haven't had one problem.
5: And you have you physically checked that or just by...
2: She video? announces
6: to me that it's this Okay. So say cold gun, we rehearse. Baldwin then describes the moment of the shooting. When we
2: came back after lunch, we rehearsed for the camera. And I took the gun, i really really showing him, I'm going, I'm going to go like this, like this, like this. Cock and turn, bang, it went off. The first time. Okay, so it was, it was your... It was the very first device.
6: time that we were shooting that shot, that we were rehearsing for that shot. Also released today, video from on the set showing Baldwin rehearsing some... Did you see that? I did. I'm going to play it again. I mean, uh, he, on the
0: set, look at where his recovery. finger is,
3: <laughs> and and Billy, it, it, I I know it's hard to freeze it right there, but it looks like his finger is all the way back on the trigger. You know, there's not a lot of room in that
6: little uh, trigger guard. Released today, video from on the set. There you go, perfect.
0: You know, it's perfect. like it's almost this video is hanging him. You know, I mean, it's showing it's showing what he did, and he may. He can lie about what he did, but this is video of what he did.
6: And if he did this in rehearsal, he did this in live action. Showing Baldwin rehearsing sometime before the shooting.
2: And she's right there, vulnerable in a position she wouldn't ordinarily be if we were shooting. And this then, boom, she hits the ground. So whether someone accidentally, and I can't even imagine this, deliberately placed a live round in that gun... I mean,
0: I've never heard of that in my life. So, I mean, amazing. Um, It's like this video definitely did not help him. And we're going to get to why is the district attorney, the Santa Fe district attorney, releasing this video now? Uh, The ballistics report hasn't come back. Uh, There's other reports that have not come back that are pertinent to this investigation, Is she doing this for the court of public opinion? Because really that doesn't matter. What matters is you're the district attorney. If you think there was gross negligence in this, which OSHA already decided there was, uh, there was gross negligence on this set. And to get a crime of criminally negligent homicide, I think there has to be some kind of recklessness or criminally negligence. And you can charge a criminal charge. I mean, it doesn't, folks... When we talk about culpable mental states, there's four of them. And it's there's reckless, intentionally, criminally, negligently, and knowingly. And no one's saying that they did it, he did it intentionally. No, no one's saying that. No one's saying he did it knowingly. But is there criminal negligence and is there recklessness? Absolutely. Absolutely. And OSHA came back with this report saying that the
3: set was a disaster. You know, the funny thing about that is, is that his lawyer came out and says that this OSHA report clearly uh, clears Alec Baldwin of any wrongdoing. I disagree with that 100 uh, percent. Also, in that uh, interview you see the, the that we just showed uh, the day of the shooting, he's saying that uh, every time we did it before, the gun never went off. We know that there were accidental misfires one or two times previous to the one where Helena Hutchins was killed. So again, he, he, how could he not be aware of that? If, if, you know, if it was somebody else, it's his production. He doesn't know about it. I'm sure he knows about that. So again, he's not telling the truth in that interview. He's coming across, (coughs) excuse me. He's coming across as uh, being non-truthful and uh, you know, uh, this, this, dream this fantasy that uh, he's been cleared by OSHA or the 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 safety agency in the state of New Mexico that's just not true that's not true he's not been cleared of criminal charges criminal investigation still active as you said billy they're waiting on ballistics and they said telephone records so those two things for whatever reason are taking the amount of time that they're taking. sounds a little bit uh strange to me it's taken that long but uh criminal investigation is not over clearly there's going to be negligence uh, uh criminal negligence in, in this case uh who it's going to fall on is yet to be determined but if there's not criminal charge in this case i would actually be surprised
0: yeah, I, I would be very surprised, Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. If you're not subscribed to us on YouTube, please go to our YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Ring that bell. And if you want to support us, we have a Patreon with three different levels. You can become part of our Patreon. If you want to join the Police Off the Cuff YouTube family, you can see the folks with the green font. They're members. They're channel members of the uh, of the Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. And we have five different levels to that. We'd appreciate your uh, your support. One of the biggest things we want, uh, the negligence factor, and I don't know if it'll ever really get answered, but I don't know if it has to be. Who put the live round in the gun? One of the problems was the gun was being used to fire recreationally days before that. So that is gross negligence right there. Now, do we blame um, Hannah Gutierrez for that, the armorer? who was given several different jobs to do besides being the armorer? Do we do we bra- uh, blame David Halls? Do we blame Alec Bolden? Partly, yes. The, the star, and I've two Hollywood stars, three actually weighed in on this. George Clooney said he should have checked that gun himself. You never rely on someone saying cold gun, cold gun, and you don't check it yourself. Another A-list Hollywood star, I won't give his name, He said the same thing. You you know, you don't you check the gun. You don't rely on someone saying cold gun, cold gun, and base your whole life and career on that. And also, I think Nicholas Cage had made a statement about Hannah Gutierrez being totally inexperienced and not qualified to do that job. So there's enough negligence on this film set. And you know, yeah, we're looking for it because what we were waiting to see that the whether there were going to be criminal charges coming down on this. And we're expecting there to be criminal charges
3: hundred percent, Billy. And when you think about the uh, the dummy rounds, you want to call them, blanks, whatever they are. Now, there are several different types. There is a round that looks exactly like a real live round. However, it has no gunpowder and it doesn't even have a uh, primer in the back of the bullet. Then there's other ones that that's usually used. So if there's a shot from the other side of where the person's pointing the gun that you can see the head of the bullet in the cylinder, Uh, that's one type. Then there's another type where it has no gunpowder in it, but it does have the primer. So it will make a sound. It also looks like a live round. And then there's a round that has nothing on the front as far as a projectile, but it's a blank and it has gunpowder in it. Now, again, if you did a physical inspection, a visual and f- a physical, as Bill and I have said many, many times, and that's the protocol that even though they're saying cold gun, the person being handed the gun that's going to have it in their possession is supposed to open up the chamber, look at the round, and if it's a, a blank round, is a BB inside it, you shake it and you hear that BB and you know that it cannot be a live round. Alec Baldwin failed to do that. Uh, Joel Souza, the assistant director, failed to do that. Uh, everybody involved including the armor who wasn't even present. They all are negligent in that respect. Uh, we have other A-list actors, as you just stated, Billy saying that he should have checked or you can have the armorer show you take the bullet out, shake it and show you visually. You're looking at it with your own eyes. You're hearing the sound of the BB inside the round. And then you're going to know this, nothing like this could happen. And then as Steve Gardella told us in the New York city uh, film production area, Uh, They don't allow a gun that can fire a projectile. There's a piece of steel inside the barrel. So again, recklessness all around on this uh, particular incident. And there's going to be criminal charges.
0: Lynn Mesa, would there be blood spatter on Baldwin? So uh, there goes a stupid narrative. Lynn, no, there would not be. You know why? Because the bullet exited her. There would be blood spatter behind her, not in front of her. And it, Joel Souza may very well have had blood spatter on him because the bullet exited her body and entered his shoulder. So, yeah, the good question though—the blood spatter that is a good question. Yeah, very good question. The blood spatter would be behind her since the the round entered and exited. Let me play a little bit of this. This is uh one of the the George Snuffleupagus interview here.
2: Was loved by everyone who worked with him, liked by everyone who worked with, and admired. I mean, even now, I find it hard to believe that. It just doesn't seem, it doesn't seem real to me.
5: You haven't said much in public since that tragic accident. Why speak out now? I think the big question, and the one you must have asked yourself a thousand times, how could this have happened? You described it as a one in a trillion shot, and the gun was in your hand. How do you come to terms with that? It wasn't in the script for the trigger to be pulled.
2: Well, the trigger wasn't pulled, I didn't pull the trigger.
5: So you never pulled the trigger.
2: No, 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 no. I I would never point a gun at anyone and pull a trigger at them, never.
5: What did you think happened? How did a real
2: bullet get on that set? I have no idea. Someone put a live bullet in a gun, a bullet that wasn't even supposed to be on the
5: property. How do you respond to actors like George Clooney, to say that every time they were handed a gun, they checked it themselves? Your emotions are so clearly so Right there on the surface, you felt shock, you felt anger, you felt sadness. Do you feel guilt? You said you're not a victim, but is this the worst thing that's ever happened to you? Yes. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Because I
2: I I think back and I think of what could I have done?
1: Alec Baldwin unscripted the newsmaking special event.
0: I would have followed that up with this. George, is this the worst interview you've ever done? I'd <laughs> say, yes, it is. You're throwing basketballs to him, softballs, beach balls. You know, the questions are so ridiculously soft that I'd like, you know, <laughs> pathetic. we, we, <laughs> I don't want to beat up poor little Georgie Snuffleupagus anymore, but that interview was horrendous. You know,
3: shame on uh, Alec Baldwin's attorneys for allowing him to go public with statements before there's even uh, an investigation completed. I I mean, think about it Uh, in the direction of the investigation, which they don't know where it's going. Uh, he's locked into statements now. He cannot get out of those statements. He made them on national television, uh, on videotape, obviously. So I, I don't know if that was a smart move on his attorney's part. Uh, it may have been they disagree with it and he insisted. I don't know, but uh, definitely not a smart move on his part. Uh, you know, th- th- I think and everybody's in agreement that the uh, interview with George Stephanopoulos was a total disaster. It became a train wreck. Uh, like you said, the, the, there really wasn't a lot of hard questions, a lot of drawdown questions. And uh, his his, uh, his demeanor comes off as, uh, you know, showing uh, no remorse at all, uh, no guilt at all. And, I mean, this is a human being that lost her life at the hand of a gun that was in his hand and he shows no guilt remorse or or you know come on uh, it's terrible it's just terrible and i think that this recent video that we saw with his finger in the in the rehearsals his finger on depressed on the trigger that's really going to say a lot in this case
7: and and that's really hard i didn't know
8: her but i know you loved her i mean that's a parent sitting across from you in this moment when you first met helena was it Wow. Was it
7: like fireworks? What was it like? Pretty much. Was it? You knew right away? Um, It was pretty magical meeting her. It
8: was love at first sight. Matt Hutchins traveling 2,000 miles to Ukraine, Helena's native country, to propose, getting engaged only three months after they met.
7: Well, I like to trust my intuition on matters of the heart. And... I was like, well, I can just get on a train and go 2,000 miles and get there. That's what love does. Wow. And it was along the way where I decided to propose. And I got down on my knees and said, mm. let's get married. And she, it was way too fast for her. She said, I don't know about this. <laughs> so I had, to, I had to convince her. And we met up and I gave her a ring. That ring he gave Helena, he now wears. Matt and
8: Helena were happily married for 16 years, raising a loving son. There was a picture that struck me so deeply and it was she and andros nose to nose and when i saw that i thought that's
7: pure she just felt that connection and just loved him so much
8: and helena calling every night from the rust movie set to wish him good night what were their conversations like
7: <sighs> well they would get on video and you know she would just do everything that she could as a mom to reassure him that, you know just give him kisses
8: and how did that make him feel when he saw her on video like that?
7: I think it helped him get to sleep every night knowing that she was thinking about him. I feel like in life
8: we expect certain things to happen. We expect the sun to rise. We expect the sun to set and we expect our loved one to come home at night.
7: Well, we certainly expected her to come home and, and to be there with us in our new home.
8: Matt Hutchins describes the horrifying moment he learned his beloved wife was shot and how he shared the heartbreaking news with their nine-year-old son, Andros. How did you learn that
7: something was wrong? A member of the production team told me that Helena had been shot and uh, my heart sank right away. Completely inexplicable to me that it could have happened at that moment. And the first thing I thought I sat down and I said, I have to get my son because I had to be with him. I rushed home and on the way decided that we had to go to Santa Fe. And when I got to the the doctor and spoke with him and he detailed exactly what had happened and that she didn't survive, I mean, I was was heartbroken. Uh, And I knew that... I had to tell my son right away when I saw him. Just had to be very direct and blunt because going to pick him up and go to the airport to go to Santa Fe, I didn't want him to think that we were going to be seeing her and having fun together and getting his hopes up. I told him, sitting together, you know, that his mother had been shot and died. And of course, he didn't believe it right away. He didn't want to believe it. Um, so, you know... What did he say? Well... You know, I think that that kind of news, you just have to say multiple times so that it can be believed. Ugh. And and so he believed it and, and we cried together then. Every holiday, Christmas, New Year's, our anniversary, my birthday, Valentine's Day. I mean, every holiday is difficult without her. And and for, for me and Andros.
8: Alec Baldwin um, called you afterwards and it was an embrace and a meal. What tell me what that was like?
7: Well, I feel like to understand that moment, you have to remember the the shock we were in. And I spoke with Mr. Baldwin and was just looking for a way through the storm.
8: Was did he seem distraught during that time?
7: There were a lot of emotions for yeah. sure on yeah. both sides.
8: Hutchins, who's filed a civil suit against Baldwin and other producers and crew members on the film, now expressing outrage with Baldwin's recent interview, where he says the actor shifted blame over the death of his wife, Helena.
2: I feel that, that, that uh, someone
7: is responsible for what happened, and I can't say who that is, but I know it's not me. Uh, but watching him, I just felt so angry, <laughs> just so angry to see him talk about her death so publicly. In such a detailed way, and then to not accept any responsibility after having just described killing her, he said,
0: "I think that's the uh, part of the interview to me that is the most infuriating—that he doesn't accept any personal responsibility. The gun was in his hand; the gun went off. Whether he pulled the trigger or his neglect—it was due to his negligence. And of course, there's a lot of negligence to go around." Who put the damn live round in the gun? Who said cold gun? Who didn't check the gun? What were live rounds doing on the set? Why was there such lack safety precautions in uh, the handling of firearms? There's enough blame to go around as OSHA, you know, Santa Fe OSHA said, yeah, this film set was a disaster. And that's why they gave them the biggest fine allowable by law, $137,000 fine.
3: Billy, uh, Andy to Gabby Cabby's in the chat and he's made some real good comments, but I'm going to read one. If I killed someone with a gun, I could never forgive myself. I'd be a wreck. I'm only human. What do you all say? This is ridiculous. Now, I made a similar statement early on that if God forbid, I, uh, you know, someone cut the brake lines on my car and I pulled out of the driveway and I ran someone over and killed him, I'd feel terrible. Of course, you're going to feel guilt. Now, he's, he's just coming off as really, really cold and callous. Now, I think his one of three things happened either when the blanks or whatever cartridges that they were using, uh, were produced that a live round either accidentally or intentionally got mixed in. Number two was that, uh, uh somehow or another, they were firing rounds and they uh, were using the gun, uh, days before taking target practice and they had the real rounds and they accidentally got mixed in with the light, with the, with the prop rounds. And then the third one, and I think that this is really, really, uh, terrible if it's true, that someone intentionally placed a live round into that gun to cause havoc on the scene. Obviously, there were people that were quitting left and right. They were unhappy with the uh, with the production that was going on. Six people uh, resigned in the days prior to. I think the day of, there was emails sent where people were complaining about different things. So if it's that last one that someone intentionally placed around, that is just so uh, beyond belief that someone can do something like that such a reckless disregard for life uh i just hope that they can find out who it was that uh mixed up the round placed around or whatever i hope they can determine that phil but i i, I th- think that phil that gets all
0: muddied that's so muddied because they were using this gun to shoot playing with it so i mean how are you going to prove that someone when there was there was over 500 like spent shells and live rounds on that set. How are you going to prove that? I mean, it's almost nearly impossible to prove even if someone's DNA is on it, that doesn't prove anything. Oh yeah. I touched the bullet when it was in this box, you know? So it's like, I I don't think they can prove that. I really don't. So the negligence and the, the criminal liability has to be, has to go to those three people. I mentioned key point. R F D S R D Baldwin never cleared the revolver before handling it.
3: Hundred percent. Hallelujah.
0: Yes. Amen. Of course. We we've been saying that all night, Phil. I want to go to a um to a quick um commercial and then we'll get right back to this. John Beatty Law, www.jbdlaw.com. John Beattie is a renowned personal injury attorney. He also retired as a decorated NYPD sergeant. For over 15 years, John has litigated some of the largest accident and malpractice cases and verdicts settlements in the country. John comes from a proud NYPD and FDNY family. He was an active sergeant in Brooklyn North and supervised in the legal bureau. John is a proud member of the Honor Legion and the Blue Knights. John Beatty litigates across the country for seriously injured victims and has helped recover over $200 million for grieving families. Call John now for a free consultation. John Beatty, 917 797 9520. John Beatty Law, www.jbeattylaw.com.
3: Billy, I just want to make a little correction. Earlier I was. Um I was trying to reference David Halls and I used uh, Joel Souza, and I just had the two names mixed up, but I want to bring up one point about David Halls. You know, he was the assistant director on this uh, film and he was fired from another production for gun mishap where one of the crew was uh, injured and he admitted to police that he did not properly check the gun and should not have been handling the guns at all. So again, uh, there's more negligence right there. I mean, the fact that he called out to Alec Baldwin, a uh, cold gun, Uh, Alec Baldwin is hanging all of his uh, you know all of his hopes on that that that's going to get him out of it he shouldn't have been the one calling cold gun should have only been done by the armorer and the liability on Alec was that he was supposed to open the gun to a a physical and visual visual inspection of that firearm didn't take place didn't do it so uh, the culpability on both of them is is really there it's 100% there. Uh,
0: Andy the Gabby Cabby Phil, whilst we, I like that word "whilst." It's <laughs> a British word. Phil, whilst we all believe Baldwin is negligent, the key question is how the hell did that round get in there? We're yeah, just, uh, we're just talking about that. But you know, there was such negligence with them firing live rounds on the set, like using the, the firearm being used on set and using it for target practice. That that's just outrageously crazy, you know. Uh, and BB, a narcissist never accepts responsibility for anything. That, yeah, yeah you know look, I said earlier on and to be fair, I'm not a fan of Alec Baldwin. Uh, I think he's an excellent actor. I can see past that. I think he's a really excellent. I just think he's a he's a tainted poor human being. Uh, I'll say that, you know and uh, as a, as that, I'm not a fan of his, even though I can see clear enough to say yes, he's an excellent actor. He's just not an excellent human being.
3: Um, you could clearly come to those conclusions based on his uh his public display of, of insanity on all these different things. I mean, he he gets in front of a camera in front of his house and he gets into fist fights with people and all the different things that went on. So, you know, it's not that much of a stretch to come to those conclusions.
0: Absolutely. Uh tonight the night owl. So all actors who handle guns and scenes get a gun safety course. Yes. They all know it's what to check to. for. Yes. And they're supposed to, and if they didn't give give the gun safety because they are negligent. You know, and we've discussed that. We've covered this case numerous times. And what makes us crazy is the fact, and Phil just said it before, and it's ingrained into our brains from the time we become cops, is that when we go to the range, before you holster your firearm, they'll, they'll say to you, ad nauseum, do a visual and physical inspection of your firearm to make sure that it's safe. Because no one walks around the outdoor range in Rodman's Neck with a loaded gun. You're not allowed to do that. You, they give you the ammo later on, and you, at some point you load up for the street, and everything's done methodically. And just imagine a police department with, with 35,000 officers that go to the range twice a year. I don't even know how many times that is. I'm not good at math in that way. And they've never had a uh, someone get hurt. Like uh, on, the, Well, they've gotten hurt when... A, a, a bullet ricochets off the stanchion and hits somebody, but they've never had anyone shoot anyone. And that's pretty amazing when thousands and thousands and thousands of people go through that range. And it's definitely a kudo to them of the safety procedures that they go through
3: to make that possible. Listen, they train hundreds every day up at that range. And the first thing that they do when you walk through the doors, they draw and present your firearm and they unload it. They don't want anybody walking around with a loaded firearm. The only time that that firearm is to be loaded is when you're on the range and you're going to fire the gun. And then, like you said, when you're done, do a physical visual inspection, make sure it's not loaded. And then right before you're going to leave, just before you're going to leave, you go into a room, you load your firearm and then you're on your way. So safety is number one when it comes to uh, firearms training. It's paramount. It's the most important thing when you handle a firearm is to be safe. They always tell you, always, 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 you point your gun in a safe direction when it's loaded. And when it's not loaded, same thing. You always point it in the safe direction. Of course, you may be mistaken that it's not loaded, just in case. So that's really, really how they train us. And uh, listen, th- the protocols were there. They just weren't followed in this case.
0: Andy the Gabby Cabby, who handed the gun to Baldwin? It was uh, David Halls, the assistant director. not Reed. I have always understood it was the AD. The British press today claimed it was Reed. No, it was not Reed. It was... Uh, David Halls. Uh, David Halls uh, handed yeah. it to him. Who and and admittedly, he admitted yep. he handed it to him, and he admitted that he said cold gun, but did he ever and it wasn't his role to do that? He, he also wasn't the he, armor. He didn't
3: properly check it either. That he just picked it up as a cold gun and, and called out cold gun. And he admits that. So in, in previous interviews. So uh, again. Why was he handling that firearm? Why Where, where was the, uh, the armory? Even though she was inexperienced, where was she? She was the one that was supposed to hand them the gun and call out whether it was a cold gun or not.
0: Milwaukee civilian, my apologies to those who said hello tonight. Something is wrong with the way my computer interacts with YouTube. My comments are only working through the phone. Well, Milwaukee civilian, good to have you here. Uh, big supporter of the show. Thank you. Um, I had
3: some technical issues myself tonight, so I apologize, uh, too.
0: What's the best place to get YouTube help? A a 13-year-old kid. Pull one one off up the street. They're geniuses at it. Whenever I have a problem with the computer, I grab one of my sons. They're not around now, so I've learned a lot through uh, just talking to them, you know?
3: Uh, Ain't that the truth, though, about the young uh, generation today? They are just so computer-fluid. It's Amazing, and, and obviously, with the computers, the cell phones, YouTube, uh, they're just they're right on top of it.
0: That's right, for sure. 672 e Galaxy, thank you for the $20 super chat. Hey guys, just checking in. Liam is doing great. I love your Sunday morning coming down cover. Thank you so much. Bardo was a year ago already. Gun, I you know, something someone just Joe Murray just mentioned that. Then why don't we grab a hold of Joe Lisi and do another night at the though, And uh, say hello to Liam first. Liam was a fan of the show who just went on the NYPD, graduated the Police Academy. Uh, we wish him the very best. God bless. speed. God bless. God. What's that? Uh, walk with God. Vaya con Dios. <laughs> walk with God, right? And absolutely. Through his whole 20 or 25 or 30 year career. Uh, thank you so much for contributing. Yeah, I want to do another um a Bordeaux night, guys. But I, I not that I've publicized, but I have to have surgery on uh, May 11th, and it's elective. I'm having my right hip replaced. I have bad arthritis in my family. Three years ago, I had my left hip replaced. Now I'm having my right hip. Let's hope that's the end of uh, new body parts for me. But uh, we're gonna have a new nickname for you, swivel hips. <laughs> yeah, swivel hip. Whatever. I just hope that I, you know, right now I've been limping. And I use, I always wait too long to do, have it done. So I was limping a little bit. But I don't know how fast I'm going to get back to doing this. I hope real quick. Maybe a couple of days I'll be laid up. And um, what, what the rehab they want you to do for that is just to walk. As soon as you are able, right out of surgery, they get you up and they have you walk. And you're a little like, you know, like a, a brand new Impala, you know. <laughs> you're a little walk, too from the uh yeah, walking yeah. In there yeah and I walk with the cane and everything but uh, I've been through it once before so uh we'll you see what with happens that, you know Billy. you're going to do fine I'm sure yeah no no I'm yeah. going to do fine just you know I'm not looking forward to the rehab you know it's uh yeah. we'll, we'll get everybody look, Andy the Gabby and Cabby like says it. build a bionic bionic cop I wish so remember the 6 million dollar man I wish I was yeah. like that you know Yeah. but
3: uh we'll get everybody praying for you too Billy
0: Well I appreciate that but uh you know it's oh and by the way this Friday, I'm going back to Florida for a few days. Isla Morada, I'm gonna go fishing again. Nice. I'll send you guys some good pictures, maybe a couple of uh good videos. Lieutenant Pete Pranzo, Bill NYPD, tough. Thank you, Lieutenant Pete, coming from you. That's a big good compliment. Uh, RFD S R D. Don't mix up terminology. Bullet is the projectile cartridge is the round bullet case powder primer. (laughs) I love all that, you know, because I actually used to teach criminal justice, but guys that I would, Phil and I were just discussing this earlier guys that are ballistic experts. They're like, they're scientists. They really are. And they're a little bit nerdy, a a lot nerdy, right? A lot (laughs) nerdy. And they know, you know, they love all that shit. Oh my, the primer, the, the firing pin hit the primer and, and the, uh, the tool marks on the side of the cartridge case were unique to that firearm and they love it. And they, uh, you know, what are the three types of ballistics internal, external, and terminal? What does it mean, Phil? Do you know?
3: <laughs> I have no clue. I know exactly
0: but ballistics guy will go internals everything that happens with the gun, externals everything that happens when a round gets out of the gun, and terminal is what happens when the round hits its target.
6: <laughs> well,
3: it kind of makes sense. That's really lo- logical there, but I learned a few things over the years. I had a couple of cases and I found out that and I didn't really know this uh you can get uh they call it striations when a shell. Now the shell casing is is uh extracted from the gun there's striations and it makes scratches on the shell casing that can be tied to a specific firearm one of the other things besides the ballistics when the bullet goes through the barrel it leaves certain markings on the on the bullet itself that's how they match bullets to a gun but uh, shell casings also that's a little uh, unknown fact I don't think a lot of people realize that but uh, that's one of the uh, things that I did learn from uh, having cases
0: for sure. Crime Soap Opera, do you have your own podcast? It seems like you do with that with that name. I noticed you're new to the Police Off the Cuff uh, family, but thank you for um watching and supporting our show. Uh,
3: she you likes your, your own... guitar playing, though.
0: Yeah, maybe she's a guitar player, too. I don't know. There's probably a lot of guitar players out there that just... Uh... Lynn S. Mesa, cat some red snapper. There's some amazing fish in Florida, different types that we don't get here in the Northeast. Uh, Prime soap opera, you're a guitar player, huh? <laughs> so, uh, so you, oh, so you don't have your own, uh, podcast though. Okay. Uh, just, just channel. Okay. You have your own channel. All right. That's good. Teresa Burns, the gun's fingerprint. Exactly. Exactly. The, the tool marks, point. it's called, right? The, uh, the yeah, striations.
3: striations are from the shell casings. That's from right. when the shell is, is uh expelled from the firearm, ejected from the firearm, and uh the tool markings is what, uh, you know, the, the, the projectile is made out of lead in most cases, sometimes there's a copper jacket on the bullet, but they those are soft, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're hard, but they aren't as hard as they seem. And they make, uh, they make marks, uh, the barrel itself, because the, the, the actual lead uh, projectile is bigger than the barrel. So when it's forced through, it actually leaves the fingerprint of the barrel on the bullet on the, uh, on the projectile. So, uh, Little bit of science there. I'm getting a little nerdy, Billy. I don't know what <laughs>
0: <is>. <laughs> Well, you know, also, and the other guys that are real scientists are um, crime scene guys, of course. Oh, yeah. Because they have to know all the scientific stuff. Even we had John Pellucci on. He loves to explain stuff and loves to teach. All crime scene guys love to teach. They love it. You know, they just.
3: I always had a good uh, relationship with the crime scene guys because you took their expertise and you took what you knew from previous cases and you try to put the two together and you would work together. You know, they show up at a crime scene. You'd say, I want this done. I want that done. Or they tell you, this is what I'm going to do. Is there anything else you're looking? And you say, well, do this, do that. There's some things, you know, in, in a lot of cases, uh, you know, like specifically in the last case that we uh, profiled the one out in Queens, the Gall, uh murder you know, her hands would be bagged to to preserve any evidence that would be, uh, you know, uh, uh, attainable from her hands, you know, since she struggled. Uh, So things like that, you would never, you know, those are just automatics, you know what I mean? Uh, Crime scene would automatically do that. But in other different cases, maybe you come up with a different, you know, I want uh, this area looked at, or maybe there's some kind of evidence, trace evidence here or there. So, you know, you, you put their expertise and your own expertise together. And that's how you come up with uh recovering good evidence in, in any crime scene.
0: Harold Farmer. You're so right. I couldn't think of that word rifling right. and rifling is a result of the machining of the barrel of the gun leaves the imprint on the side of the projectile. Thank you. Harold Farmer. Yeah. <laughs> I have to remember these terms. I don't always remember. Sometimes today I was trying to explain something to someone. I was uh, about Tom Joyce who, uh, Works for artificial intelligence um, companies like uh, Shot Spotter, uh, facial recognition, uh, all these police technologies, and has to do with all. And I couldn't think of the word or the two words, artificial intelligence. I was like, I hate when you get a brain fart and you just like I, I couldn't think of it, you know. And I felt like a dope, you know. I think like when I used to teach, I would that would be on the tip of my tongue all the time. But now that I don't teach anymore, and I I do this, I sometimes I forget. Crime soap opera. Um, I love Van Morrison, and yes, um, where, where is that? Yeah, I love Van Morrison, and next time I'll play a Van Morrison tune. Uh, definitely, uh, I he's one of my favorites. One of my favorite.
3: Well, I I like him as well. Good songwriter, to-
0: and one of my fa Also, one of my favorite songwriters is uh, Bob Dylan. I mean, just I wasn't a big fan of him growing up, and then when I started to listen to as an adult, I just realized what a, an amazing, amazing songwriter he was, and just. Poet and all that other stuff. He, he happens to be a weirdo, you know. When he won that Nobel Peace Prize for a million dollars, he didn't even show up. <laughs> he didn't go show up to collect it. And then uh, a couple of weeks later, he realized what an idiot he was. And he he overcompensated and wrote like a three-hour, you know, speech. It was ridiculous. But he, he's an unbelievable – look, all artists are a little bit crazy, you know.
3: You know what? I guess as you get older, for me, anyhow uh, – you know, when I heard songs as a kid, I just took them for granted. I didn't really listen. And then as you get older, you listen to the words. And now I'm at the point in my life where I'll hear a song and I, I could hear the specific instruments playing, you know, whether it's the sax or the violin or it's a heavy guitar like with the, with the Beatles. You know, and you, you get to know those things. I guess, I don't know, maybe it's just uh, it's like, well, you, like good wine. You get better with age and I guess you get a better ear with music as you get older too.
0: Maggie Beth, it's 1 a.m. here in Scotland. But I have to stay up to hear yours streaming. I love your accents. Must be the Celtic connection. <laughs> Thank you, Maggie Beth. All oh, the sun Thank is you. surely rising. And the wind, I fought the, and the wild mountain time rolls around the blooming heather. Let me go, lassie go. <laughs> there you that's go, really. Little, that's a little Scottish song. But the Scottish and the Irish argue over who wrote that song. You know? Really, but it's so old it goes back to I don't know 15th or 16th century. So they can kill each other over who wrote it back then. You know, there was no there was no charts back then. You know,
3: <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the the top ten with Casey. It was, Baseman, yeah, you know? the
0: top forty in Scotland and Ireland. You know, so yeah, it was passed right. on through the ages. You know, I, we should probably go because I duty run. I know he he went live at eight o'clock, and I don't want to hold up all you duty Ron fans from going over um and watching his show. Uh, if there's any new developments in um, this, this you know, uh, the Alec Baldwin, the Rust movie set shooting, whatever it has become known, the poor Helena Hutchins who lost her life, we'll cover it. You know, we've been covering a lot of different cases of late, and um, it gives us a lot of good experience, but it's, it's, it's a lot of different work. <laughs> sure, a lot of work, right, Phil?
3: Absolutely. And I just was so, uh, you know, kind of annoyed that uh, last week when those, uh, you know, when those couple of cases were going on, I was away, but I did jump on one day, you know, you try to catch up. I mean, with your cell phone, you can get a lot of news read a, you know, a quick blurb on it. And uh, we were able to to do a show and uh, try and stay on top of it. Obviously, anything going forward with this case, all the other cases that we've been working on recently, if there's any new developments, we're right on it.
0: You know, uh, Girl Friday just introduced my son to Roy Clark and Johnny Cash. I I love Johnny Cash. And uh, I always remember when I was a kid, I remember that song, uh, A Boy Named Sue, because it told such a great story. You know, like, when my pa left home when I was three and it didn't mean much to my mom and me, except an old guitar and an empty bottle of booze. Well, I don't blame him because he went and hid, but the meanest thing that he ever did was before he left, he went he and named, went, and named, named Sue. Sue.
6: <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, if you listen to the words of that story. I, yeah, you know, I, I
0: love to <laughs> just listening to the story and how it ended and everything. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense why he named him Sue, you know? Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's like ingenious that he wrote that. You know, think about it. How do you come up with that story in your mind? That's, uh, it's funny, Billy, because my brother and I, we had that record. We used to play it over and over when we were kids. Uh, so we like that. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of great Johnny Cash hits. Uh, Roy Clark, I'm not too familiar with, but uh, he
0: was a great the- country western guitarist. Yeah, I know, uh, I know who he is. Yeah. But,
3: uh, I remember him from Hee Haw. You know, I remember? Yeah, that's was-
0: right, that's right. He was, but he was a great, he was a great guitarist. There's a great. If anyone ever has a chance to hear it, there's a great duet with Johnny Cash and um, Bob Dylan, and they play "Girl from the North Country," and it's such a beautiful. It's a Bob Dylan tune. But Bob Dylan has the higher voice, and then Johnny Cash comes in with that real low Johnny Cash voice, and their voices just a mix so well. What do so they well. call
3: that? A baritone
5: voice? Yeah, he has that great,
0: uh, that great baritone. And you know who else had a great voice like that? Was um, Waylon Jennings. I don't know if you know him, but he was another uh, country. I West know the name,
3: but I'm not familiar with him.
0: I've, I've always been that. crazy, but it kept me from going insane. <laughs> is, he, is he
3: country or is he rock? He's
0: country, but he, okay. he actually was supposed to be he with um Buddy Holly on the plane that went down. That's right. And true. he yeah. didn't get on the plane. He lived, in, of course, Buddy Holly, as we all know, uh, died. Yeah, yeah had this law enforcement show turn into a a music and s- singing and songwriting show, <laughs> and then <on laughs> next week we'll be we'll right. doing some cooking, maybe you know. Crime but, uh, soap
3: opera. She put it, she, recur- threw, it. she threw a curveball at us. That's how we got. There. Oh okay. yeah. I want to try and get those done. Uh, maybe this sometime this week, Billy, we get those uh, coppers in the kitchen out.
0: Absolutely. So Philly last words,
3: last words, uh, as the saga goes on with the, uh, rush production, Alec Baldwin, I think, uh, like I said earlier, the hole gets deeper and deeper for him. uh, I'm not going to be real surprised if there's criminal charges. I'll be very surprised if there isn't. Uh, who's culpable, who's going to wind up being charged. That remains to be seen, but it's sort of like everybody's doing this. They're pointing the finger at one another, so to speak. So again, we'll stay plugged in on this. Any of the other cases we've done over the last few weeks, which they were horrible. Uh, the uh, Naomi Arion case, the Cassie Carley case, the gal case out in Queens, there was the subway shooting. Uh, we were right on top of those. We did a bunch of shows. So any developments, we're going to jump right on them. And uh that's about it, Billy.
0: Well, guys, thank you so much for listening tonight. Uh go tune in right now to Duty Ron. He's uh he's live as we speak. And hopefully, guys, we'll see you soon. Have a safe night.
3: Stay safe, everyone.
1: One episode, just